0: Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you, uh, uh, my I know my fan is a sports. uh, My guest is a sports fan. And I think he's a Patriots fan. And I got to tell you something about my Eagles people. Now, now the Eagles have lost two in a row. And I love how Philadelphia fans are. I grew up near Philadelphia, ten minutes over the bridge, and and everyone went crazy when Carson Wentz had you know those first few games. And everybody is buying jerseys. And I know because they're Philadelphia fans, and we we're used to misery that that they probably kept their receipt in their drawer and probably are going to return those jerseys. But I got to say, Eagles fan, that. I said they'd be eight and eight or nine and seven. Everyone on my Facebook, all my friends, as soon as they knew hence, uh, whence was starting, said they would go four and twelve and gave up to them, gave up on them, and now they're all jumping back on them. So I gotta t- see what my my guest. Uh, I know he's a big Patriots fan. If I'm not correct, if I'm not wrong, my guest is Brian Howe. How you doing, Brian?
1: Hey, Steve. How are you? Uh yes. Having grown up in New England, I have to confess that all my teams begin with the uh, with Boston. Right. So how how did
0: you like this year so far with, uh, with, uh, Brady getting suspended? I mean, you know, I know you've, I, I put some deflategate comments on Facebook and you've always sent back scoreboard <laughs> and stuff like that. You're, you're, <laughs> you know you're, you like to mix it up. Are you happy with how it looks so far?
1: Uh, oh, no, uh, you know, I, I have, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, a Tom Brady apologist. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of my Patriots, but, uh. You know, I say uh, you, uh, let stuff uh, run the way it's going to run and, you know, we'll, we'll see how it comes out in the wash.
0: Now, I got to talk to you. You're, you. were I figured out you were on my show a almost two years ago. It was January of uh, 2015. And we had talked about different projects and then you were working a lot. I want to know how did your uh, – I know at the time you were all promoting the uh, audio adventure book A Big Dan – Freighter, how has okay. that gone and and, and uh, I mean ha- have you has it done as well as you thought I know you're a fan of the old-time radio and just you know explain what what got you into that genre to go into because' you're, you're a cons- consistently working actor who's been on some great projects a lot of HBO stuff I watch you scenes between we'll talk about later about vice principals and Westwood it's like it's like Brian Howe is on my HBO all the time it should be it's the Howe <laughs> box office. But how, just, right. <laughs> just tell me more about this audio book, because we, we talked about it a little bit when you were on the first time and, and you played some clips. But tell the listeners, too, about this audio, uh, this audio project you did and what got you into it and why you have a love for that kind of radio. Uh,
1: my dear old friend from my Boston days, a uh, guy named Larry Blamire, is an extraordinary. He's he's a renaissance man. He's he's a writer and, and a director and an illustrator. Uh, he has a graphic novel out right now called Steam Wars, uh, which I think is available on Amazon. But, uh, you know, we've made some films together, which some of your fans uh, and listeners might know of if they're um, comedy fans and, and uh, uh, old horror movie fans. We He made a a parody uh, movie, a very straight faced parody movie of, of like the uh, Ed Wood style movies called The Lost Skeleton of Cadavera. And uh, we made it for, you know, uh, two dollars and a bucket of chicken. And, and, uh, and it turned into this, you know, cult hit. Sony picked it up and we had a giant opening at the, at the Egyptian theater. And, and it took off way more than we thought it would. The, the house was, uh, was, was packed and we thought there'd be, you know, 10 of us plus some of our friends. And it turned out to be a, a packed house. Um, And we went on to make uh, several more movies, one of which was called um, Trail of the Screaming Forehead. And uh, that one um, featured three main characters, Uh, two uh, like merchant seamen named uh, Big Dan Freighter and his sidekick, Dutch the Swede, Anna Crombie, and the local uh, town librarian, Millie Healy. And we made this very silly movie. Uh, where foreheads from space uh, attacked uh, the town. And um, and w- after that, we, I came up with the idea of maybe going on with further adventures of Big Dan Freighter and Dutch and Millie Healy Town Librarian. And we went back and forth thinking, oh, maybe we could do like a a children's hospital type thing, you know, Rob Corddry's show on, on Adult Swim and, and all this whatnot, and Finally, the, the path of least resistance was to make them like uh, radio dramas, make them very silly, like a serial you would hear you know, every week on the radio uh, with these three idiots uh, kind of going on various uh, misadventures. And we started to work. It was going to be a podcast, and then I decided, well, let's make it like more of an album. And we produced a total of five adventures uh, that came to over more than an hour of content, and we turned it into an album, and we released it to iTunes and Amazon. And it was the, the week it released, uh, the, the week before it released, um, it was the most downloaded album on Amazon. Uh, and because um, we have a, a large you know, contingent of, of uh, hardcore fans. And it won an award. Uh, at the Here Now Festival in Kansas City, Missouri. It won the gold prize there. Uh, So we're we're very, very proud of it. And, uh, um, you know, I had an interesting meeting with a guy uh, people might know by the name of Seth Green. Right. Uh, And he's a content producer. And he told me a very interesting thing. We had already done the album, so it wasn't like a pitch meeting. And he had said, you know, you can take the, the number of fans and likes and all this kind of stuff that you have, divided by 10, <laughs> and you'll be lucky if if 10% of them uh, actually click through and, and buy the thing. And, uh, and uh, many did, and I was very uh, pleased uh, with that. Um, not as many as we'd hoped, to answer your question, but uh, enough to spur us on. And we've assembled, uh, we've got five more scripts in the can, and what we're doing right now is um, we're making inquiries into... Turning it into a podcast, uh, or better yet, an animated series, and we have uh, we have irons in the fire. Is all I can say right now. So uh, that's going great guns, uh, slower than I'd like, but you know that's Hollywood. That's showbiz.
0: Why do you think people are enjoying that? I mean, I know because you know, the serial podcast was a big thing, but why do you think people are coming back? Because it's almost it's almost like old time radio and old time comedy. And for me, you know, like I remember listening to my brother listen to Cheech and Chong. And they were skits. And I remember I still remember, you know, the the wedding album and I still remember Earache My Eye and Sister Mary Elephant or whatever. Oh yeah. I, I remember them constantly and I was younger a kid listening to my older brother play them. But why do you think people are attracted to this character? And why do you think people are starting to enjoy it's old time, it's the classics. Why do you think people are starting to enjoy that again?
1: Well, because for a whole generation, you know, for a bunch of us, it's, you know, who grew up with, like you said, Cheat and Chong and the Firesign Theater. Uh, you know, it's a return to that, but there's a whole swath of audience for whom it's a new thing. It's actually a, a, a new kind of cool novelty. And no one out there is doing uh, this particular thing. A lot There are a lot of podcasts, there are a lot of people that sit around a kitchen table with a microphone and talk about movies and cars, um, but there is very little really fully produced, scripted material uh, with with you know really good uh, uh, talent behind it and full production value. And that's what we are. Um, I was able to corral a bunch of you know showbiz pals, uh, Kevin McKidd. Uh, from Grey's Anatomy, is a guest voice on one of the adventures, and Michael Chiklis is a guest voice on on one of the adventures, and uh, Sam Witwer, who folks will know from um, Being Human on the Sci-Fi Channel, and, and you know, people were, were eager to come and take part in this uh, extraordinary silliness, and the scripts, you know, Larry is a, a brilliant writer, and these are very funny. Um, you know, it's hard to tell people what's funny, because it's so subjective, but let me say they're, they're very, very comical. And uh, we've taken the whole notion of the adventure serial and kind of turned it on its head. Um, one of the adventures is, you know, we, we title them like Indiana Jones movies, but instead of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, we have Big Dan Freighter and the Escalator of Forgetfulness. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we're summoned to the local mall because people are going up to the second level of the mall and forgetting why they're there. And so we're called upon to to uh you know fix uh, the escalator um so the the adventures are are dumb, uh but they're treated with great seriousness and uh, Larry's handle on language is very very uh unique um and uh sometimes you know deliberately grammatically questionable right. <laughs> so um I think um you know we we've made a lot of converts uh we've got the standard fans. And uh, I think it's um, I I think that's it. I think there's a whole section of the audience for whom this is not old; it's new.
0: Now that's going great. And your career, you when, when I last talked to you, it was right before the uh, or right around the time, or a little after the Criminal Minds episode aired, and it was the season finale, I believe, and you played a very dark character. And you know, Very
1: bad person.
0: Yeah, and people, though, like, they knew you from seeing you in the newsroom and all your movies, and, and now you're this awful person. How do you as a character get into that, and, and do people sometimes then actually think you're a bad person? Because you're worse than bad on that <laughs> episode. You're just awful, and you're scary, and it's a nightmare. But how do you put yourself into that, and then do you get certain reactions from people?
1: Um, well, it, it it was it was really <laughs> it's a strange thing to say, but it was really fun to play. I mean, I am a character guy, and uh, you know, I play a lot of neighbors and lawyers and DAs. Um, and to to, for, to to have a character come along um, and to get the job, and then to have one of the producers of the show call me and say, "Do you realize what you're playing?" Uh, because I was playing a guy who abducted young girls and then sold them to serial killers. <laughs> right. Oh, is that, that the feel-good character? It's a real feel-good character. And, you know, everybody comes from somewhere. And this guy, you know, uh, um, I, I played him as just a very cold, um, uh, banal kind of, you know, character. Uh, a, a Very straight-laced. He wasn't rubbing his hands with glee and cackling in a dark corner. Uh, he's a guy who uh, is obviously damaged himself. Uh, God knows what he went through, so you know you, you can kind of write that story in your head and um but you know what he's doing is uh he views it as a, as a business and um you know it it stops and starts right there, which you know there's no there's no question of morality for this guy it's it's uh he's a sociopath he's, he doesn't care what's right or wrong. it's not a concern of his. And to get to play someone like that is just, is just such a, it's just such a treat because it's a break. I don't get to play a lot of really, really bad people like that. So that was that was great fun. And uh, that was the beginning of of uh, what turned out to be a very busy year for me because I went on to, I think I went on to recur on Masters of Sex.
0: Yeah, what was that like? Working a period piece and with all the wardrobe and stuff like that. That must be pretty cool. Because the only,
1: the only. It's really fun. The only scary part was I was also in the middle of recurring on Newsroom, and they took it upon themselves to, you know, practically chop all my hair off, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, kind of sent me into a panic because I still had more Newsroom to do. And, you know, I was concerned a little about continuity because what happened to this guy, you know, a week later. What saved me as far as Newsroom goes was the next episode I had to do took place like months later so there was a huge time jump in between two episodes on <laughs> newsroom so it didn't it didn't hurt uh, any any kind of continuity um, uh, and you know it, it but it's really it's it's a thrill and it's a privilege to have to be going from from one to the other um, uh, and to do the period stuff as you were saying I'm, I'm in a I'm recurring in another period uh, show right now that starts production in January, which is an adaptation of The Last Tycoon uh, that's going to be on Amazon. And that starts up in January. I play a character named Red Ridingwood, uh, who is a, a hack Hollywood director uh, in the 30s, in that, in that Gatsby era, Hollywood of the 30s. So yeah, it's, it's a real treat. It's fun. And same deal with Westworld. You get to climb into that you know, that heavy suede and leather and you know, cotton stuff. And when you're all done, you, you look like a sheriff. It's awesome.
0: You know, Westworld, I was a uh, hand insert for the, uh, in one of the <laughs> scenes. No, There's no lie. In, in the scene, it played the other night. And, and I ended up on the uh, cutting room floor. It was where uh, the, the, they're in the lab. And the girl goes with the, the guy with a beard with a scalpel. And, and in my scene, they shot, you know, if people don't know, hand inserts. I've done a few of these. Yeah, you know, they want people with nice hands, which I don't know why. Like the actor probably has nice hands or maybe they just needs something. But I sat there and I just all I just saw was my midsection in that in those costumes, those those robes, those plastic robes those guys wear. <laughs> and, and I sat there and I acted like I was going to get cut with a scalpel. I had to react. And I was all excited and they didn't put it on.
1: I was pissed. Sorry. Hey, join the club, dude. I'm a recurring supporting <laughs> character, and a, a big uh, scene I did got cut out of the pilot. So. Now, I join, want to... Go ahead. Join the club. Let's... I had a scene in the uh, first episode, uh, and people noticed this. I had to respond to it on, on social media. Uh, you see uh, the, the scene where I'm leading my guests. They've had They've joined my posse. Which is the storyline? You know, I was offering that uh, join my posse and go up in them our hills and get the bad guys. Uh, they, I, I, start glitching out uh, as the sheriff, and, and uh, you know it was this great visual effect of you know a fly landing on my face and my eyeball rolling around trying to look for it. And there was a scene following that where I, my my guests freak out and they leave. And the scene following that was me continuing on. Uh, to go get the bad guys. And I find them, um, and uh, they shoot me, and they scalp me uh, on camera. It was a very bloody, gory, wonderful, awesome, fun thing to shoot. It was a physical effect. And they cut that from the pilot, but they didn't cut the scene where the next time you see me, I'm down in the tech lab, and Jeffrey Wright is kind of looking me over, and for some reason, I'm covered in blood, and my scalp is hanging off. <laughs> so <laughs> you see me having been scalped, but you don't see the scalping, which to me is kind of a glaring continuity error, but I know, I don't know. I don't get it, because you're HBO, what does it matter if you're an hour 10 or an hour 15 or an hour 17? Uh, but apparently, they were uh, they felt they were running very long, and uh, of all the things to cut, they cut that. So... Uh, I'm sure it'll be on the DVD. But join the club, pal. We've yeah. all hit the cutting room floor at one time exactly. or
0: another. <laughs> now, how did you uh, come upon Westworld? I want to talk about the other stuff you've been in. But Westworld, I know it was in production for a long time. It was uh, Two years. It was, And I know I think in the beginning there was a, uh, I don't know if they changed the directors or I don't know what, what happened. But it's been for a long time. And it comes from, you know, if people don't know, it was a Michael Crichton book. I mean, movie, and
1: uh, Uh, it was yeah, it was original. Actually, was it was an original screenplay uh, that Michael uh, uh, Crichton wrote. That was uh, um, that was, and he directed it. And then there was a novelization of that. I was corrected in that assumption uh, not long ago. I thought it was a book too.
0: Now, now when Uh,
1: he wrote it as a movie, and and then he got to direct it.
0: Now, when you got that to look at it, were you excited because you were getting the play? A cowboy, because I'm sure as an actor, and you've been acting for such a long time, and you've been very successful at your craft, it must be cool, because, you know, everyone when we're kids wanted to be cowboys and Indians, and to be able on a big budget, and even to make it better, a robot cowboy, what was, what were you excited when you got to read for that part, or were were you sitting there, was it something that you really wanted, because were you a cowboy fan as a kid?
1: Well, sure. I mean, you know, it's a it's a role that's, you know, it's two items off the childhood bucket list. You said it. Robot and cowboy. You know, it's like all in one. But the audition process was as interesting and odd and mysterious as, you know, as doing the show was, because I didn't go in to read for a sheriff. The guys that were going in to read, uh, they kind of ingeniously picked or manufactured a scene That one is uh, presumably you're you're um, you're you're playing a host, but you're sitting across from one presumes the like the Anthony Hopkins character who is walking you through the paces of being several different characters. So the sides that everybody read were you having to change your programming so that you're the banker, you're the daughter, the father of the girl, you're the card shark. You're the prisoner in the cell. You had to you had to play, you had to do four different characters in, in one audition, which was tremendous fun for me. I don't know how other actors approached it, but I thought, oh, this is really fun. This is great. So, you know, you got it ahead of time enough that you could kind of think about, okay, what's the physicality of this going to be? What's the vocal delivery of this going to be? And uh, I went in and, and had a blast. John Papsidera was the, casting director and uh, Jonah Nolan was was in the room and uh, and it was kind of playtime it was really kind of a fun audition it didn't it didn't strike me as a high pressure thing although you know I mean I'm I'm wanting it uh, it, it was a really it was a cool session
0: so you find out you get the part and you have to be stoked and when did they tell you you're going to be the cowboy, the sheriff how do you know what what's going on
1: um, I don't, God, you're, you're going so far back. I don't remember what, what happened after that, but I remember leaving and John Pasadera came, you know, chased, ran out after me and, and was very complimentary and said, wow, man, you, you know, you did great. You hit it out of the park. I said, oh, thanks. You know, I, uh, praise I take with a grain of salt, my, after years of experience, I've learned to just leave the audition and walk away. I don't. I try not to dwell on stuff because it just leads to dashed expectations. Uh, but I remember getting. Yeah, I got cast, and I, I was told I was going to be Sheriff Pickett. Um, I think that was one of the characters, you know, that was intended in the in the audition. I don't think he was named as such, um, but I remember there was a scene. And I never got a full script, by the way. I never in, in all the episodes I did, I never saw a full script. The secrecy is, is uh, you know, Pentagon level. And um, it was I didn't have the security clearance <laughs> to right. ever read a full script. My sides I would receive my sides alone, just my scene. And any scene that bled from the previous page or into the next page was heavily redacted with black marker. So I, I had I never had any clue as to what else was happening uh, in any episode. So I'm watching the episodes with the rest of the audience, very curious to see what the hell else is happening because I'm watching it like an audience member.
0: Right now, now did you think you'd be like you're like in the first episode? You're like very close to being right off the bat.
1: Yeah, it's James Marsden, and it's it's uh, no, it's uh, it's Evan Rachel Wood, and then James Marsden, and then me. In that order, and, and right up uh, in the pilot, which you know I I didn't know. Like I said, I didn't know what to expect. All of a sudden, I'm there, <laughs> so I was like, "Oh wow, there I am!" That, uh, so it's really it's it's really fun. It's fun to see.
0: Now, you know, you're sitting there, and and they put you in the cowboy gear. Uh, yeah. And now, did it did the cowboy gear get hot? Because I'm sure that stuff's pretty pretty damn heavy.
1: Well, there was all kinds of stuff before we shot the first episode. I did. We, shot the, we started shooting on a Friday, which is odd, but, but on Monday of that week, I had to go to horseback training, because you had, you had to get up on a horse and ride around. Uh, I had to do that. I did more up at Melody Ranch, where we shoot up in Santa Clarita. I did more of that. Next day was weapons training, because uh, you had to learn how to handle a, a Colt, you know, a Colt pistol, because nothing's automatic. You have to take the gun out, cock it with your thumb, and pull the trigger cock it pull the trigger um so it's not bang 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 you know it's it's, it's a process uh and then uh, the next day was a makeup test where i had to have a whole plaster cast of my face made because they knew that we were going to do this scalping scene um and there was you know they had to test mustache and beard and all that kind of stuff and then the next day was uh, it was a Thursday it was camera test day where they did optical plates of your face and and uh, all that whatnot very uh, advanced and technical. I I think what I did was I sat in a chair and uh, they they filmed me just sitting there. Uh, so your guess is as good as mine what that meant. And then the next day was uh, shooting. It all had to come together so in in one day. And it was it was cool. It was very hot. Uh, and we were up in the angeles uh uh forest there up in the mountains of whatever that is Pasadena or whatever and um and it was uh it was extraordinary because all of a sudden, in one fell swoop, you had to have that costume on you had to get up on a horse you had to <laughs> go along this very narrow trail which was you know rocks and stone going vertically up on one side and a vertical drop on the other side, and you're up on a horse, so that was uh that was kind of interesting, and uh, and it, you know, at the end of the day, you scrape all that off, and you take up all all the, all the stuff, and you look in the mirror, and you go, "Man, I'm on friggin' Westworld. Right. This is like the this is the coolest thing, you know." And it informs how you walk. Like you put the clothes on, and you get the makeup on. You're in your trailer, and you look at yourself, and you look nothing like yourself. And it's the coolest thing because you really get to really get to play cowboy. And and you, your voice changes and your body changes and you know it's it's uh, it's really playtime. It's also the hardest I've worked on any project. But you know that's not a complaint. It's just a statement of fact. It was it was hard. It, the hours were long, the temperatures were grueling. But at the end of the day, it's Westworld. Right.
0: now now, the fly scene how do you shoot that and was it a real fly or was it a fake fly and then you have to act like you're shorting out how do you do all that you know because it's 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 so that's what's cool about Westworld I'm not a big I'm not a big sci-fi guy and I'm not a big western guy but we make sure we watch Westworld because we like it because it's it's a mixture of both and it's just it's one of those shows it's just cool and maybe it was because when HBO was promoting it they did the different trailers, which you never really knew exactly what was going on. But how, right. how does it work for you? How did that whole fly scene got shot? And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and what is it like to you when you have to act like you're shorting out? I mean, how does, it, how does an actor, you know, when, you, when you've acted for a long time, I'm sure no one's ever said, Hey, okay, Brian, act like you're uh, shorting out because there's a fly on your face. How does it work? Was it a real fly or was it a stunt fly? Was the fly um, union or we, non-union? How did that work?
1: We got to that moment, and uh, the first thing we did was, um, we did another, it was all practical effects, we did another optical plate, where I just had to look straight ahead, and they would, and not move, and not gesture or anything, and they would shoot that for 15, 20 seconds, and then a fly wrangler, yes, there is such a thing as a fly (laughs) wrangler, uh, had a cooler, Full of flies, uh, and the reason you keep flies in a cooler, it turns out, is that it makes the flies a little logy. It makes them a little. It slows them down. It doesn't hurt them, and it doesn't kill them. It just kind of makes them a little uh, logy, a little slow. It slows them down, and so he would run at me with a a very cooled down, chilled fly uh, in a gently held in a pair of tweezers. Run up to my face place the fly on my face, and uh, and then run away, and they would say, action. And as the fly warmed up, it would start crawling around on my face, and as it did so, I would roll my eyes around looking for the fly uh, while also kind of glitching out. And the glitching out, what I mean, my choice for glitching out was to make it look more like a human problem than an overtly robotic mechanical problem, though clearly it it becomes that. um, I thought it would be a little more... uh, I thought it would... I wanted you to feel more sorry for the sheriff than grossed out and freaked out by him, or laugh at him, because, you know, I didn't want to come across as, you know, Jaime on Get Smart. Right. Uh, Boy, is that a reference. Uh, You know, uh, so I I chose that, and I, I... you know, is he, is he having a seizure? Is he having a stroke? I wanted it to almost look a little more like that because the, the the optical effect, because then they split in post-production, they split the optical plate so that half of my face was staring straight ahead and the other half, the eyeballs rolling around. So that was just an optical effect that they did. But we did it all. It was all live, and yes, it was a real fly. We went through about eight flies uh, because one tried to crawl into my eyeball. Cool. Uh, One tried to crawl up my nose. Uh, A couple of them just fell off. (laughs) And a couple did, you know, did like a cool thing and and just crawled around, kind of, you know, just crawled around in my face. But, yeah, they were real flies. And in the most recent episode, we come across a guy tied to a tree who was covered with flies. Right. And that was another hundred plus degree day. And that guy had prosthetics on his face, and a bucket of flies was dumped all over him.
0: Oh, man. So, <laughs> it's, it's just, I, I, I'm enjoying the show. Now, how, how about how the scalping scene? How, I mean, is that something you sit there and you're excited for that? Because it's, it's so random. It's like, you know, and you don't, you don't hear that term a lot anymore. And, you know, because it's his House. Yeah. But how did they sit there, and how did they set you up for that? And, and are you sitting there going... Wait, well, you know, because you're a host, that it's not the end of you. But uh, right. how, how do they shoot that? And uh, and were you excited, or were you sitting there going, "Okay, this is going to be weird"?
1: Uh, no, I was psyched. The only nervous part is that it's it's a physical setup. Again, it was not a CGI thing, and I wish the audience had seen it because I'm describing something they never got to see. But it'll be on the DVD, I'm sure. Uh, and it actually is an effect that made. Jonah Nolan, the director, a little ill. (laughs) (laughs) It made him not feel very good. But what happened was we did the whole scene around it first, kind of skipping over the actual scalping, uh, where I'm down on the ground, Hector picks me up by my hair, takes a knife to my forehead and rakes it across my forehead while peeling off my scalp and blood uh, just pours forth all over my face. And the way we did it, uh, when we had to actually go in for the shot, it was done separately from the scene. Uh, up at uh, Melody. we shot the scene up in a up in some bizarre location, uh, a remote location uh, like up in Simi Valley somewhere, and uh, and we did the actual effect back on the set at um, uh, at Melody Ranch, and they did a whole plaster cast of. Like the top of my head. So I'd have to go into makeup, and they would, this gel paste would be applied to my hair to paste it down really close to my head. And then they would put on this entire top of my head, matching my hair and everything, that had built into the front of it a little pocket where inside was a little balloon filled with fake blood, and a tube underneath it ran down my, ran up my scalp and down the back of my head, and down through my vest, and there was a guy off to the side with a pump, a little hand pump, and a, and a you know, a little tank of blood, and so what had to happen was, uh, the only nervous part was that we really wanted to get it right, because to reset it would take another, you know, three hours. Right. And we ended up getting it in one take. Uh, one bloody, disgusting take. <laughs> and it worked like a charm. Camera was right up close to me. He picked up me up by my fake hair, because my real hair is underneath. So he's picking me up by my fake hair, and he would rake the knife across. We practiced it a bunch of times without actually doing it, because camera had to be right. And finally, it came to go time. And he picked me up by the scalp, and he started to rake the knife across my scalp while lifting the fake hair away and they had fake brains below and everything. (laughs) And this guy started pumping the blood and I could feel it coming down uh, my face. And while that's happening, we decided, wouldn't it be more pathetic if I was glitching while this was happening? So I'm not even able to like scream in pain because I'm just so pathetic. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, my, my face is like contorting and, and it's just one big pathetic, gory mess. And so I was so psyched and I heard about it while we were shooting other episodes. People were coming up to me. You know, Jimmy Simpson would come up to me. Oh man, I saw the pilot. Oh my God, the scalping scene is amazing. And then we go to the premiere and I can't wait for the scalping scene and it's been cut out.
0: That
1: sucks. That sucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I can't wait. I, I'm sure it's on the DVD, and I look forward to seeing it uh, someday. Now, Probably in you know now, well, another six months or so.
0: Now, when you got the part, did they tell you you have to be naked?
1: No, <laughs> I was asked to be naked uh, on the day, and I uh, respectfully uh, declined. I look; it looks like I'm naked, uh, but I, I said, you know, I, I understand if. Evan gets naked. I understand if Tandy gets naked. I understand if Lewis Hertham gets naked, and other characters. Uh, they're getting paid more, right. <laughs> I, I thought to myself, you know, at these rates, and what you know, what what I've been doing and and putting out for the production. Now you are asking me uh, for nudity as well. So uh, you know, but they asked. They didn't require it, and uh, and they they mask it well enough. You know, it looks like I am. I am not fully, but. I practically am. I'm in a damn little song. I'm in a Speedo, <laughs> which, trust me, you don't want to see. I don't know what what is more shocking and horrible, me in a Speedo or me naked. I think it's a draw, <laughs> no, quite frankly. No. Uh, but, yeah, there I was uh, sitting there, and uh, um, there were a lot of naked people, especially down in that tech area. They had lots of – because they hired lots of models and background people to be – you know, in the background, they're getting looked over by other techs, and and they're all naked. I stood up from a take once, uh, and I, I turned around. And I was like, "Whoa, okay, wow, naked people." Where do I look? I don't know what to do. <laughs> now, it was-
0: what's it like being part of the show because it's gotten so much buzz, and uh, and do you have uh, viewers reaching out to you because it's one of these kind of shows, and HBO has. Great shows that they get a very devout following. And I, you know, there's been a lot of buzz on Westworld on Facebook. You know, it's and, you know, the people that have HBO that I'm friends with. And uh, have you gotten have people uh, because also because you look different, you don't look like you normally do. But have people been reaching out to you at all? And what has the general feedback been and have what you and how do you feel about that general feedback?
1: Uh, the feedback has uh, has been much more good. Well, there hasn't been any bad. There hasn't been anyone to say, you know, I'm hating it. Uh, but I, what I like, and I think what some people, you know, uh, find frustrating, is that we're, we're, we've become very accustomed to having every question answered and having every, you know, uh, a scenario tied up in a pretty little bow for closure and conclusion. And what they're doing very well on this show is... They there'll be a, a a big chunk of every show that looks back, where that explains some of the past of Westworld, and uh, and for every question that kind of gets answered, they raise another one, and I like that. I like a show that makes you talk about it. I like the the sh- show that that says, oh, okay, that's why that's happening, but wait, what caused that? <laughs> so. I, uh, I get a lot of really good feedback from people. There were a lot of questions about why I was sitting there bloody in a chair. Uh, and I had to explain you know, what I just told you and, and your listeners about, you know, we, we kind of skipped the scalping. We just see me scalped. Um, but the, the overall reaction has really been great. And I think it's because the show is smart. It's not just a weekly rehash of the original movie. Like, oh, who's fritzing out this week? There's a lot more going on. And the memory wipe that hosts are supposed to um, go through at the end of each day, after 30 years, because in the show, Westworld is 30 years old. It's not new. It's been around. And that memory wipe, it turns out, is not completely working. It's leaving vestiges of memory uh, in in some of the hosts. And uh, we're starting to see the effects and the consequences of that. Uh, and I love that. I love a show that provokes discussion, that kind of, you know, addresses what is humanity and, and what do people become if you go to a place where there are no rules and you can do whatever you want. Who do you become? Do you stay who you are? Do you pick a white cat or a black cat? Um, you know, the, you, people arrive on Main Street in, um, in Sweetwater uh, the same way they arrive on Main Street in Disneyland. Uh, from there, you can move on. Um, uh, but everyone arrives at sweetwater the newer guests probably hang around town they play some cards in the saloon they uh, hook up with a, a lady of the evening they get in a gun battle they get in a fight you know they they do you know that kind of fantasy stuff and the more experienced guests move on beyond sweetwater we're going to find out there's whole other lands and towns and it's a, it's a rather large it's a west world and, uh, that has, we haven't seen all of it yet, but we're getting hints of it now.
0: Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy the show. Now I also want to talk about your other HBO show because you go from something like Westworld and, and you know, Westworld's on now. It's, it's a, it's a heavy drama. There's a lot of violence. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> not and, for the kids. Right. And then, and then you're on another show, not for the kids. Oh, no, very that, not for the kids. Vice principals, which I, you know, you sit there and I, I'm a big Danny McBride fan and And, you know, everyone, you know, I still, to me, you know, I didn't, I didn't watch Justified and I saw, I mean, I saw a little bit, but to me, Walton Goggins is still, you know, the Walton Goggins from The Shield and, and I've never seen him do comedy and, and you go in and you know, it's a Danny McBride thing. So, you know, it's going to be a good show for you. You're, you're totally changing gears. You're going to a comedy when, I mean, how do they have you audition to be in this comedy when you're usually pretty much a drama guy, except for your your you know Dan Prater
1: you know my my whole background as an actor in my Boston and New York days was mostly doing comedy um, it, it was It's interesting that coming to l a it's been a lot of uh, dramatic roles, and I you know look, work is work, and the money's still green, so you know i I don't care one way or the other, but it's it was fun to do. Uh, vice principals, and get to play Superintendent Haas, who has the responsibility of choosing the vice principal of, you know, one of these two idiots, and uh, and to have, and to be able to, I was able to play with the character, I, I couldn't be a total Frank Burns, I couldn't be a completely incompetent boob, because I have to actually have the authority that these guys bow down to, these guys respect, you know, Superintendent Haas, so he has to be Good at his job, but I decided to give him a social tick, and that he kind of laughs inappropriately at stuff, uh, and we'll see that markedly in, in the upcoming uh, uh, season uh, in in 2017. Um, so yeah, you know, yeah, it was it was a blast, and it's easy to do once you show up on that set because Danny McBride and and Walton and the whole team there made it really a lot of fun to just kind of you know cut loose and go with the flow and um it was a it was a terrific shoot we shot in south carolina and uh it was it was it was great fun it it, you know it depends on how easy the transition is made and they made the transition very very easy to do it was and plus i got i had to get on a plane and fly across the country to do it so there's there's that, there's that, too. You know, if I had to go to, like, the soundstage next door and do it, maybe that would have been a little harder. But I had to go to the East Coast to shoot the comedy, so there was that separation as well. But, yeah, it was, it was great, and, and being able to do both is uh, really rewarding and really a lot of fun.
0: Now, did you think, I mean, did you think it would be so... It's just so over the top, and, and it's because... They're just awful. Both of them are just awful, awful people. I mean, they're just... You look at them and you're like, like... You know, you always get the characters, you know, like you mentioned Michael Chiklis earlier. Vic Mackey wasn't a good guy, but you like him. Don Draper is just a not a good person, but you like him. These guys, you just don't like either of them. Did, did, I mean, you don't. And the thing is, did you know it would be so over the top and just nutty and just... I mean, a totally different crowd than Westworld. I mean, you know, and your other stuff. I mean, you got to be ready for a little bit of, you know, a lot of eastbound and down type people, which I love that show. Did you know it would just right. be like this show? And and then and God, the ending. I mean, did you know that was coming?
1: <laughs> um, yes, but only because, again, I got this. I, I, I was able to read whole scripts, but, you know, I'm not in every single episode. I'm in a handful of episodes in each season. So what came episode-wise before and after that, I I didn't know, but we did have a screening uh, of um, season one, uh, and um, you know, so I got to see all the episodes and I, I knew how it was going to end and stuff, and and uh, yeah, I just I, I thought you know man, good for you, throw a wrench in the works, like really like smack us around, you know? <laughs> throw something. Uh, um, I knew how season one was going to end because I know how season two begins and my character plays, um, you know, an important, albeit stupid, role uh, in that. Um, not that I'm the shooter or anything. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, it was... I, I thought, you know, good for you. Really, you know, shake it up. Because, well, it's like you said, we don't really like these guys. We kind of cheer for them to lose. We kind of enjoy seeing just to what degree they make total asses of themselves and, and just how far they debase themselves. Because poor Belinda, that poor principal, they, oh. you know, <laughs> a perfectly nice woman. Know. And they just, they're just they just awful to her.
0: It's, yeah, it's funny, my girlfriend doesn't watch it, and I fell, but I fell asleep one night, and I guess she was forwarding the DVR because she was watching, I think John Oliver was on after her, whatever it worked. And it was a scene where Goggins spit into the coffee, and she's like, oh my god, you gotta see the ending of that. Because that stuff is just like everyone's worst nightmare. I mean you think anyone who's had a job like you think someone dropping a loogie in your coffee is just oh, so
1: awful. It's so gross. And then then and then she catches him doing it. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Now did season two shoot yet?
1: We shot the whole thing.
0: So you shot season one and then was season two right after, or did you wait a little? Yeah,
1: that was the deal Danny had. He said he went to them and said I have a show. I, this is what I want to do. I want to do eighteen episodes: nine in one, nine in another, and we're done. And HBO being HBO, and Danny McBride being Danny McBride. HBO said, "Okay." So they shot all eighteen episodes last summer. Okay, did both seasons. So, but it's all—it's all done. It's all shot. Oh, good. Okay, I know it's coming back.
0: Now, for you, you know, we mentioned Masters of the Sex, and that was on Showtime, and you were on yeah. Showtime and HBO, and for an actor that must be great. Tell me about this Amazon show, and I believe with Amazon, and I, you you'll know better. So correct me if I'm wrong. Amazon, because we have Prime, they put the pilot on, and then do people vote for it, or how does a show go from pilot to series on Amazon?
1: Uh, Amazon does a very cool thing. I think they, I mean, I think they do make the final decision. But they do a very cool thing, is that in that they okay a pilot, and a pilot gets made, and they uh, during a certain month, a thirty-day period, they put all the pilots that they currently have, and they put them up on on the site, and on the apps, and they say watch this pilot and then rate it, review it, tell us what you think, and uh, the audience gets to have a say. The audience gets to say, wow, this really resonated with me and really worked for me or this one kind of fell flat and, you know, didn't care for it and that kind of thing. And you get to rate it. There's a star rating or a number rating or something and, uh, and Last Tycoon did extremely well. Um, Billy Ray, who is a brilliant writer-director, he gave us the, I think he wrote the Hunger Games movies. He did the adaptation of the books. Uh, but he also wrote and directed a couple of my favorite films. One is called Breach, with Ryan Philippi and Chris Cooper, and another one called Shattered Glass, uh, with um, uh, with oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a Rick Perry moment now, forgetting the uh, the actor's name, but it was about. Uh, It was about the writer for the National Review magazine who ended up making up a lot of his stories.
0: Okay, I'm not sure, but don't pull a Gary Johnson.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, I won't talk to you with my tongue hanging out. Um, But anyway, yeah. uh, So, uh, And Billy Ray had decided he wants to adapt uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's last and unfinished novel, uh, The Last Tycoon, into... A series. He wants to explore that whole world and those characters and find out, you know, and postulate what what life they might have had beyond that. And it's all 1930s Hollywood. and It's just a blast. So he got the okay from the Fitzgerald estate and and um, made. Uh, we had a, a terrific time making the pilot because you know, he's just an awesome guy, Billy Ray, um, and uh, and it's going to start production. They've. It got the green light for to be a series. So the writing room is open, they're writing now. And uh we're gonna start shooting in I think January.
0: Now how is that when you sit there and, and it other shows, you know, in, on network, you shoot the pilot and then pretty people put sh- pretty much usually know when it's if it's gone to series or not. What is it like when you're an actor and you're sitting there and you you shoot this pilot and it's got a great cast with Matt Bomer and Kelsey Gramner and uh, you and and you sit there and it sounds like it's a good project. You like the writer. What's it like? What's the waiting game like when you sit there? Because Amazon puts it up so people can see it. What is that like for an actor? And then how do you sit there and deal with your schedule? Because what if something else comes along?
1: Well, yes. (laughs) exactly you nailed it what if something else comes along because yeah i don't want because it's a big waiting game i can't sit around for a whole month you know or i have to try not to anyway um so yeah you're you know i'm I'm checking the website every day to see who has watched it and what the reaction has been and you're, you're you're seeing the numbers you know turn out very well so your fingers are crossed and you know i'm I did everything I could not to bother Billy Ray, because, you know, he's a very friendly, accessible guy, but you know, he was in the dark as much as we were. So, I tried to wait as long as I could, like weeks and weeks, before I wrote him and said, what are you hearing? (laughs) Anything? And he would write back, and he would say, you know, your guess is as good as mine, Uh, the buzz is good, but we don't have any kind of a commitment. He said, I I feel good about it. Um, He said, but you know they're they're play, keeping their cards close to the vest, so it's um it's terrible, and and plus you don't know even if they decide to green light it, is it going into production right away? Because um, we were under the impression that it would be like September October, uh, and then it turned out you know it was going to be January. So you know that's a phone call to the agents going, okay, get me work <laughs> right, <laughs> please right now. I can't. I can't wait until January.
0: Now, where will the yeah?
1: It's a it's a waiting game. It's torture. It's hard.
0: Now, where um, will the shoot?
1: It's going to shoot uh, here in L.A. We shot the pilot um, at the Paramount lot and some other you know locations. Um, so I assume it's going to be the Paramount lot, but I, I don't know that for sure. It's just the Paramount lot is still. You can still find so many nooks and crannies that still look like the '30s. It hasn't been. Architecturally modernized. I mean, the insides of the stage is sure, but the outsides—they've pretty—they've been kind of cool about keeping the outer shell of it um, pretty cool looking. So, you know, my guess would be that. But I—I I think there are any number of, of stages around town and sets you could you could go to. It just depends on, uh, you know, what who gives permission to you know rent the space, you know. So we'll see. I don't know what the plan is.
0: So it, it starts shooting in January. So now, so what right year? Now what? Now, so what do you do now as an actor? Because I mean, you know, can you still look for a project for next year, or do you have to wait because you're going to be in it? I mean, are you in a limbo, or I mean, how does that work?
1: No, I decide because I'm going to be a recurring character, so I don't have a commitment to every single episode, and they haven't committed me to a number. Uh, and the way the game is played is like, well, look, you're not going to commit me. I got to go work. So hopefully when my episode comes up, um, <laughs> I'll be available. You know, that's how you have to play it because I can't, As you know, I, I think it'll work out. I think it'll pan out um, because generally, um, you know, the good thing about a recurring character is it, you're not going to be in every scene of, every, of an, even one episode. You, you're probably going to be in a handful and uh people are companies are generally very understanding if something if you have a long standing commitment to something um uh the, generally they'll you know they'll work together to to make it possible for you to um to do both um so you know we'll see because i'm up for three things right now as we speak um a movie and and two other uh t v guest star um projects so you know i'm I'm waiting to hear the movie uh, if I do the movie, if that happens, it'll start in November and probably last until you know January or so, so there might be some overlap if i if I get to do that
0: you know, you know I mean it might that's the one thing It must be Harvey and a winning game man because you as said you've had a very busy year, and I'm awesome so i'm um, I'm so glad that uh they shot. The second episode of Vice Principals because I, I hate when they you, you watch a show and then they cancel it and you go. Oh, <laughs> I mean, if they canceled oh, no. that, they, oh. so I mean, so basically, so but you still you you you're you're out there and pounding the pavement still even though you've been working hard. You're up for these two things, you know. So for you, you, you just want to get a whole bunch of stuff on slate and just so you know, so if something doesn't come through, something does come through.
1: Right, and, and the other good thing is, I mean, another advantage. Uh, to doing these these HBO and, and Showtime shows is that they shoot long before they air. So that while you're in the middle, like you, you're, I'm done shooting Westworld, but it's only airing right now, and I'm getting exposure while I'm still out there going to audition. So I get to go to an audition saying, oh yeah, I'm in this week's Westworld, and it has that badge of cool to it. Which, you know, which helps you in the room. It it doesn't guarantee you anything. But, you know, that's the the advantage is I'll be on the air. Like, Westworld will finish. And 2017 will come. And then the second season of Vice Principals will start. So it will appear as though (laughs) I'm still working. I might be sitting on my butt in my, you know, in my undies. But in real life, but it'll look like I'm very busy. And appearance is everything.
0: See that's always good though, yeah, because that's I that said. You know, I saw I saw you in those shows, and 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 now you also must be feel very blessed as an actor to get to work in such great projects with great people. I mean, that's got to be something. Yeah, better. I've
1: I've been really really blessed. I've got wonderful agents. They're not, you know, it's not a high powered top of the line agency, but man, they've got really good relationships around town, and I get in a lot of really cool doors, and and I get to audition for. You know, really, really good stuff. So yeah, I, I count my blessings as far as that goes. That's, you know, that it, it, that has um, that carries a lot of weight. And uh, um, you know, the stuff I've auditioned for now, I'm I'm only not talking about because I'm superstitious.
0: Nice. But
1: um, but yeah, there's you know, there's more stuff coming, and and uh, you know, work does can beget work, and and it can't hurt that you know you, you might get seen on on a really high profile top show like Westworld or, or masters of sex or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's really, it's, um, it's been a, a really good, like couple of years.
0: Well, we only have a few minutes left. I have to ask you your question. What's it like? Okay. What's it like going to the Hollywood Bowl with that, that, that McKid guy from Grey's Anatomy where people swarming him?
1: No, actually Kevin's a very guy. He's such a nice low key guy. Uh, but but the advantage is that, you know, he's a uh, one of the stars of a big hit show. So when he gets tickets to the Hollywood Bowl, you get really good seats. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you get uh, it, it, it pays to be his wingman.
0: Now, um, and now the debate, are you going to be tweeting during the debate?
1: No, I don't tweet during the debate, but I do. I do read Twitter during the debate because there are extraordinarily funny people out there. And I love hearing, you know, what. People like Pat and Oswald, and and uh, you know there are a lot of a lot of very clever, funny men and women out there who I follow, and it's just a blast to kind of follow it in real time. It's such a weird phenomenon, um, the, the Twitter. I, I just think it fascinates me. So when the you know when the when the debate comes on, I make sure I have Twitter in my in my lap, and you just have to follow the right hashtag, you know, because people make up the hashtag, so. You hope you're on the right one where all the cool people are, are tweeting.
0: Yeah, I and, I, I tweet you know, all the fact time, fact
1: checking and being snarky and all this kind of stuff. But boy, oh boy, what a nightmare, huh?
0: Yeah, I I, I tweet during the debates and it's funny because I said I haven't mentioned either the politics. I've either. read
1: your tweets during the debates. I, it's I, very funny. I try to have you're to find, one of the people I follow.
0: That's I, and you're you're and just for so people know, you can follow Brian. It's at Brian Howe. And that's H O W E actor at at Brian Howe actor. Uh, not to confused with Brian Howe, who signed for Bad Company. It's exactly. at Brian Howe Actor. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, so it's it's good. So you, you try to, you know, I see you respond to your people, and, and that's always good. And uh, now, now, besides Twitter, are you on Instagram or Facebook?
1: I am on Facebook, uh, just under my regular old name, Brian Howe. I don't have any other kind of identifier, I realize. But my picture accompanies my face, so... If you know what I look like, uh, that's that's the one that's uh, I think that's the one that's me. Although Facebook doesn't verify. Do they verify? No. I don't think so. Well Yeah they do but I don't know. They yeah, do, my but anybody my, my account it. will also link you to the adventures of Big Dan Freighter. So that's the one that's me.
0: And you also tweet or, uh, tweet you have at Big Dan Freighter on Twitter. Uh
1: yes. Yes, at Big Dan Frater, F A F R A T E R. Well Check us out. You can uh Hear samples. Actually, the best samples to hear off the album are at the BigDanFrader.com website. The uh, the preview tracks on Amazon and iTunes kind of suck. Okay. Uh, they're not good previews. But go to BigDanFrader.com and you can hear you know big lengthy uh, good preview tracks that'll give you an idea of just how silly we are.
0: Cool. I'm well, I'm glad you came on. I'm glad we caught up. cuz I watch I'm watching on TV all the time.
1: So, me too, uh, Steve. Thank you yeah, so much. No I really appreciate it. It's yeah. great to be on again.
0: Yeah, so people follow him. Follow me at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk, uh, especially during the debates. Uh, my website is CooperTalk.net. You can find 560 episodes up there. You can email Boom. me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. Uh, Instagram and Words with Friends. I'm Cooper Talk one And on Instagram, you'll see some pictures of food and stuff like that. Because go to my other website, stopthesalt.com. When I had that heart problem a few years ago, I wrote the low-sodium cookbook, Stop the Salt, low-sodium cooking for one well without killing yourself.
1: Uh, all about that, it's, dude. It's exactly.
0: It's 120 easy recipes. They're easy to make. There's no pictures to intimidate you. It's for guys, mostly. It's There's uh, not a long list of ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. So you can buy that. You can buy that at <laughs> my website, and I'll mm-hmm. sign it for you. Or you can buy it at barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. But I make more money, like twice as, almost three times as much money if you buy it from me. So do that. So, people, do me a favor follow at Brian Howe, actor.brian uh, on Twitter. Follow me at CooperTalk. Check out the Westworld. You're going to love the show. It's crazy. And
1: buy the book. Buy the book and, and lose the salt.
0: Exactly. And people, so I'm Steve Cooper. I'm is as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water. Eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.